Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's episode number 32 of the Gate World Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is a show where two sci-fi nerds talk about the Sci-Fi Channel's long-running franchise. What's it called again? Stargate. Stargate. You're not going to win any podcast awards for that one. It was uh, episode 29, three shows ago, where we went back to the beginning and talked about Stargate the movie. And today, it's the next step forward in our SG-1 slash Stargate history lesson. We're talking about the first season of Stargate SG-1. Definitely some hits and misses in the first season, but first we've got a preview of our upcoming interview with Rachel Luttrell, who plays Kayla on Stargate Atlantis. And we've got lots of Stargate news to talk about, especially that big Stargate Universe casting news that came out as prophesied in our last podcast. Came out on, I think it was Tuesday. That's right. So let's jump to news. Stargate news. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for March 3rd, 2009. The results for the Atlantis Blu-ray contest are in. They've been in for uh, about a week and a half now, but we have uh, not covered them. There are going to be three hours of television on the Stargate Atlantis Fans' Choice Blu-ray release. They are Rising Parts 1 and 2, the pilot of the series, and the finale, Enemy at the Gate. So the very first and the very last. That's right. The bookends of the the show. And fans can visit uh, the newly launched SGAFansChoice.com, and you can go there to design and or vote for the cover art of this release. And be mindful that contest will end March the 13th. I think this is cool because every time the new Stargate box art comes out, whether it's an Atlantis box or for the movies last year, fans complain a lot about what that cover art looks like and what that temporary cover art looks like. So, hey, give them a chance to do it themselves and vote themselves. So if you didn't like it, it's not the studio's fault. And here's some good news for Stargate Atlantis fans and for Brad Wright. His episode, The Shrine, my favorite episode of Stargate Atlantis, has been nominated for a Nebula Award by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Episode number six of season five is up against some very stiff competition for this year's award. It's going up against The Dark Knight and Disney Pixar's WALL-E. Last year's award I just looked up was won by Pan's Labyrinth, which was a, a great fantasy film. But Brad is is in very good company, and definitely the nomination is very well deserved. I thought the episode was brilliantly written. Now remember, this is a this is a writing award nomination. So, as great as, you know, David and Kate Hewlett and, and everyone in the cast were in the production, and as the episode just came together, I think, perfectly, this is, I mean, it's a writing award, it's kudos to Brad. Well, they saw that coming down the pike when we were there. Everyone was buzzed, oh, did you hear about the shrine? Oh, the shrine, oh, I saw the new pages for the shrine, oh, man, the shrine. Mm-hmm. They all knew what they were getting into. Well, the winners for the 2009 Nebula Awards will be announced in Los Angeles over the weekend of April 24th through 26th. Hulu is taking over the world. Ten episodes from the fifth season of Stargate Atlantis are available to watch on Hulu for free. That's the first half of the season, available from now until May the 23rd, and that's Search and Rescue to First Contact. Now, you can probably expect the next ten episodes of the series after that. According to the site, they have the rights to show ten episodes at a time. That's a pretty big amount of shows. So The Lost Tribe and Enemy at the Gate might become available after these episodes expire. And you can go over to check that out at Hulu.com. This is only available to U.S. viewers. Sorry, poo-poo on anyone else. Well, yeah, poo-poo. It's a distribution issue. It's not Hulu's fault. And, of course, the big news this week is the rest of the cast for Stargate Universe. So up until now, we knew uh, Robert Carlyle was playing Dr. Nicholas Rush. We had David Blue on board as Eli Wallace. We had Brian J. Smith as Lieutenant Matthew Scott and Jamil Walker-Smith as uh, Ronald Greer. So we had the guys, basically, and we've been waiting on the women. Uh, And we got the women this last week, and we also got a couple of other what I think are pretty big names. This is really exciting. So I guess let's mm. start with the girls first. Elena Huffman. She'll be playing Master Sergeant Tamara Johansson. She is our Vasquez from Aliens. This is another alien reference. Okay, I caught it. I'm looking forward to this character. Vasquez, have you ever been with a woman? No, have you? Elena, I've seen her recently on Smallville. She played Black Canary on Smallville last okay. season and this season. I'm not to that episode yet. 
Somebody commented when they saw the picture of Elena on our website that she looks like a young Amanda Tapping. In this photo, at least, she's got the short blonde hair and just very striking features, and I think she looks terrific, and I'm excited to see her character. This is the character, Tamara Johansson. We originally reported as Tamara John, and I don't know if it was another name change or if the, the name was just ended up cropped at some point in the casting process and we got the wrong name, but it's Johansson. And she's also gone from being a captain to being a master sergeant. And then one of my favorites, Christopher McDonald, Senator Armstrong. My mother calls me Richard. <laughs> That's our compulsory Star Trek The Next Generation reference of the week. <laughs> Christopher McDonald played Richard Castillo in uh, season three's Yesterday's Enterprise, one of the greatest of all That's times. Right. You also may recognize him as Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore, one of my favorite comedies of all time. And he was uh, quiz show host Jack Barry in One of my favorite quiz dramas show. of all time. I'm excited I'm about this one. I'm looking forward to talking with him. The studio is actually not, deliberately not telling us, but it looks like Christopher McDonald's probably going to be a guest star for the pilot. The other big name that they won't tell us if he's a, a full cast member or recurring or a guest star is uh, Stargate Universe has cast Lou Diamond Phillips of La Bamba fame, of uh, Numbers fame, of Young Guns fame. This is a big name, I think. Ah, uh, he's our red shirt and you know it. <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips is playing Colonel Telford, and his character is described as a lifelong military man and the chosen leader of the ill-fated expedition. He's going to get left behind on some galaxy or something. He's a big enough name that he's screaming guest star to me, uh, a little bit like Robert Patrick in the series premiere of, of Atlantis. But hey, we got him, you know? I mean, they're bringing out the big guns for the pilot, and they should. He's awesome, yeah. I think it's it's a huge name, and I am really excited to see him on the show, even if it's just for the premiere, and even if they, they really do kill him off like they did with Colonel Sumner. And let's not forget Ming-Na. She'll be playing Camille Ray, the IOA representative stationed with uh, the personnel on the Destiny, I believe. Is that right? Yep, that's right. This character came out in casting documents uh, several weeks ago, and Camille Ray was originally described as possibly recurring, so uh, we now know for sure that she's going to be a recurring character. Um, but she's being listed by the studio as part of the cast. So, you know, maybe with the caliber of actress that they found and how much the character has really worked as they've started to write scripts, you know, you never know. Maybe this is more of an ensemble show and the, that line between regular and recurring is a little bit more permeable. Yeah, I'm getting the feeling Camille's going to be more like our um, Zelenka. Or at least, you know, she'll have that opportunity. Otherwise, she'll be our Groden. I'm sorry! <laughs> I don't think so. I think she brings a lot of a lot of uh, strong presence and strong strong chops to the show. Uh, she was on ER for years and years. Ming Na played uh, Doctor Chen in some 118 episodes of ER, according to oh. IMDb. And last but not least, I'm really excited about Elise Levesque. And Elise, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Uh, I guess we'll find out soon enough as we continue yeah. to learn more about our new cast members. Elise has been cast as Chloe Armstrong, which is one of our regulars on the show. Uh, Chloe is the daughter of Senator Armstrong, and she is a civilian. If there is anything that that we have learned, we collectively, we have learned from past incarnations of Stargate, it is to go out of our way to avoid making characters flat. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad that I didn't see Samantha Carter deliver the line about her reproductive organs being on the inside instead of the outside in the pilot and write her off and just roll my eyes. There's mm -hmm. a lot more that can be done with a character than, than is described in, in casting documents. And obviously, Chloe, if you've been following these, the Stargate Universe casting over the last few months, is kind of the center of the storm, I think, for some of this early criticism over Universe because she was described as... A, a kind of spoiled and silver spoon upbringing and she's sexy and young and what's wrong with that i don't think there's anything wrong with that but this is the character no, i mean i'm makes... seriously i'm looking at this objectively if starting off with a character there's nothing wrong with that no no they're, they're supposed to be flat at the beginning and then they get deep yeah and you should never judge a character by the one-line description in a casting document that fans are never yeah. intended to read but anyway this is uh, this is kind of why i think at the at the center of why so many people have criticized 
SGU early as being something that looks like it's going to be Stargate 90210. Ah, bah. They'll watch. I'm excited about Elise. I think she's beautiful, and she's got a good list of credits to her name, and I'm excited to see this character. You know, frankly, this character, I think, is the sort of character who could make or break the show in a lot of ways. We've seen a lot of military personnel from Stargate Command. We've seen the the underdog who rises to become a leader in characters like John Shepard. We've never really seen a character like Chloe Armstrong. And because she's got this kind of spoiled brat, two-dimensional description behind her right now, I'm really excited to see her become so much more than that. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a great deal of opportunity for this character if it is written well. So Elise Levesque has been on Smallville. She's done a show called 2030 CE, Masters of Horror, and she's guested on Men in Trees. Her film career includes the recent television movie version of Journey to the Center of the Earth. So that's our cast. We have all the characters and all the actors playing them listed now at uh, the Stargate Universe Launch Center on GateWorld. Just point your browser to gateworld.net slash universe and look for the characters link. GateWorld Features. Expect a brand new interview with Rachel Luttrell coming to GateWorld in the very near future. Woo-hoo. She and I laughed and talked for about a half an hour about being a mother, the ups and downs with the character over the course of the five seasons on Atlantis, and what's on the horizon for her, mostly being a mother. So it, it really, a lot of it really did revolve around her son, Caden. It's funny because when, when Atlantis came to an end in the fall, I, I have a... Um... I have a fellow who comes by to help me clean my house, thank goodness, because um, it's difficult to do. Uh, so he, he helps out a lot, and, and he's from the Philippines. And uh-huh. he was absolutely shocked uh, when I told him that I was going to an audition. Um, uh, because apparently in the Philippines, once you are an established actor, well, that's it, your your road is set, and, and you just get uh, movie offer after movie offer. You never ha- Essentially, you never have to job interview again and wow. so just to look at his face it was it was amazing on the one hand it was so complimentary and on the other hand i thought god maybe i should be living in the philippines yeah exactly it's a little bit a smaller Wait, no 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 you're you know you're you're already a professional actor <laughs> 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 yes sadly that is not how it works here but but um yeah i've i've been out for a couple of things that i that i really love and i'm not going to jinx it but but it's but it's nice. It's it's exciting to be. It's scary to be back in in this world. And on the other hand, it's incredibly exciting because I've been auditioning for for characters that are so vastly different from Kayla. And, and, exactly. You know, when I get to play with, you know, other colors and you know and and it's it's been a lot of fun. So I'm I'm excited about the you know the next characters. So you're going to be seeing that um, in the next few days. I'm excited about this one because, you know, we've we've interviewed, especially the Atlantis cast, so many times, and I think people have kind of gotten used to those interviews and what they sound like and what the actors talk about. Now that the show is over and those yeah. actors are moving on to other projects, obviously we're excited about them coming back, hopefully annually, for Atlantis movies, but now that they're, they're moving past Stargate in their careers... The timbre is different. And, yeah, what what are their thoughts now, looking back on on Atlantis retrospectively? The main discussion. Today's main discussion topic is the first season of Stargate SG-1, which of course aired on Showtime from 1997 to 1998. What are your fondest, earliest memories of season one of SG-1? Well, like I've said a couple of times now, I was one of these guys who started watching the show the night that it first hit syndication back in 1998 or 9. And uh, so Children of the Gods was the first Stargate that I ever saw. And it was interesting enough that I came back the next day and finished the episode after I had fallen asleep and said, It's not ending! So I had to hit record and tape it. And you expected it to be Poltergeist? I expected it to be Poltergeist. Well, well, obviously when Stargate SG-1 came up on the screen, I knew it wasn't Poltergeist. But um, originally that's what I was expecting. So I stuck on, and I watched The Enemy Within, and Emancipation, and then I found the show on Showtime, and turned that on, and watched uh, Samantha Carter eat a snake, and the episode was in the line of duty, and I never looked back to season one until it came out on DVD a few years later. I remember when it came out on DVD, I remember standing in Costco, 
in the Chicago area debating whether or not to spend the money to buy this because the TV on DVD phenomenon had not hit yet. MGM was a little bit behind the curve. Um, I think, I don't remember, I think the show was maybe in early season four when it first came out, yeah. when, when season one first came out. So yeah. you know it was years before they were releasing the current season that same year. Season one, obviously I decided to, to bite the bullet and buy it, uh, and it was a great decision. Stargate has become very significant in my life. Really? Mine too! You know, uh, when, when it was not on Sci-Fi Channel five times a day, those DVDs were all we had, and there was a long stretch of time between the release of Season 1 and Season 2 on DVD. So we watched Season 1 on DVD over and over again. See, I could never get anyone in my family to sit down for that long. Yeah. So, 21 episodes, technically 22 hours, if you, uh, if you count the, the two-hour pilot. Favorite right. episode to kick us off here. Favorite single episode, I would have to say, is There But For The Grace Of God. Mm. I first saw that episode on DVD. I was near the end of the set. I was like, I sure hope that these last episodes are cool. And boy, I managed to miss that one when it was airing on television. And how cool it was. When Catherine Langford steps through that door, I'm asking myself, where the frick is Daniel? And Mm. it was just a good hour of what-if television. Great alternate universe episode. That really, mm-hmm. we didn't even go much out of the base. There's a little trip to another planet at the beginning of the episode uh, and at the end. But for the most part, we're spending the entire episode in standing sets. I mean, yeah, there's no exterior see. stuff in it, and it really let them, it really let them uh, go all out in terms of what they could afford with the, with the pyrotechnics and the, the visual effects. And it was just great. It was a great doomsday episode. Basically, scientists have theorized that there are an infinite number of dimensions, each containing a different possible version of reality. Well, it sounds like I theoretically, possibly, actually found one. There But For The Grace Of God is, in a lot of ways, what SG-1 is all about to me. This is also my favorite episode of season one. Uh, And it kicks off this awesome story arc that, it was the first story arc that the show did that ran for four episodes. It ran through the recap in politics, which was unfortunately a clip show in season one, but still an interesting show. It was a good show, despite the fact that it was a clip show. Yeah, with Senator Kinsey sitting around the table, and Daniel is really pressing on the fact that he is convinced that the Gould are on their way to Earth right now, and he's got this address that he wants permission to, to be able to go to. And then on into the season finale, Within the Serpent's Grasp, where they actually decide to defy orders and SG-1 goes through the gate to that address and finds that yes there is a Gould mothership headed to Earth Mm. and then on into the the conclusion in the season 2 premiere so there but for the grace of God kicks off this this arc in such a fantastic way I agree another favorite obviously Torment of Tantalus I could have said that one but that one seems to be the obvious one to me because a lot of people really that's that's really their favorite and that's definitely a second con- second place contender for me it's just a great show but episodes like Cold Lazarus you know that really stands out in my mind because I was a big fan of the movie and Singularity a great episode for Sam and Solitudes the Torment of Tantalus is definitely a close second for me and, and I'm looking at Gate World's episode guide right now and yeah. these, these four-star ratings are my personal view of the episodes, and those two are some of the rare four-star ratings. Torment of Tantalus was, I think, I think it was SG-1's first truly great episode. And so whenever you start a new series, you wonder how long is the show going to take to find its footing. When is that first episode yeah. going to hit? that's really good, that is really compelling, and just sort of starts to tie all the pieces together and open up a new universe that you know... I mean, you know with Torment of Tantalus that we just kicked off something that is very significant. Well, it dips into the potential of what the show could be. They recognized pretty early on the potential for what the show could be. There was a series of civilizations that were out there before us that may be related to us, and what can we learn from them, and what is their legacy, and where do they go? You know, and that is what spooled out right up until the end of the series. I believe this room is some sort of meeting place where four alien races, denoted by the symbols and distinctive writing on the walls, would gather possibly to share knowledge or discuss relations like a united nations of the stars Catherine agrees you're right i would have 
Yeah, with the four races and Earth's role in the universe. The planet that we find in Torment of Tantalus is the ancient, falling-apart, leftover legacy. But it also has that really great touchstone with existing Stargate history. It goes back to Catherine and the gate being being experimented on in the 1940s uh, after it had been brought over to the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, Catherine's long-lost love. Yeah, it really goes out of its way to tie a lot of stuff together. Torn of Tantalus exercised a great deal of potential for SG-1. I really wanted to see Catherine Langford again. I really thought that she was a big part of that concept, the concept of the gate. And that's one of the reasons why I was just giddy as all get out when Elizabeth Hoffman emailed me and she said, I'll do an interview with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just Torment is just a, a great show. Yeah, she was a nice touchstone from the movie, and obviously season one is a lot about about coming out of the movie, launching a, a mm-hmm. show that, that has its own foundation and, and its own mythology that, that grows out of, of that original seed. I thought that it was great to have her around. It's great to have her in There But For The Grace Of God in the alternate universe and, and see mm-hmm. her role in the Stargate program there. Well, it makes sense. We did see her again in season two in 1969, but that was obviously in the past and played by a different actress. So when we go from the Stargate movie, uh, you know, you imagine Brad Wright and Jonathan Glasner getting together, probably late 96, getting ready to launch this new show. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the movie's been out for a couple years. It's a fairly recent phenomenon, and uh, you've got this challenge of turning it into a television show. So what do you keep and what do you get rid of? We talked a lot about this in our podcast about the movie and, and what was held over, but um, right. this is looking at season one and some of the things that they that they did, the new elements that they introduced. I'm just seeing you know universe building all over the place. Mm-hmm. Well, they there were some things that they had to tweak and change, the concept of Ra, what he was, mm-hmm. Gould possession, right, and and creating a um, a soldier class, a, a cast in the Gould who were really responsible for taking care of all their dirty work. Um, the gold as, as a concept is something that to this day is, I think, still one of the greatest ideas in sci-fi, you know, because, I mean, you have them in a situation where they require the Jaffa and they engineer the Jaffa to require them, and then you have the Tok'ra, which is introduced in Season 2, so you have good symbiotes and bad symbiotes. It's a really, really cool sci-fi idea that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And Teal'c's character was great for bridging that gap and for explaining a lot of it because he's literally walking around with with the, the enemy baby gut. form of the enemy inside of him, and he's I mean he's got a clock hanging over his head that's ticking down his life. Yeah, I think um, if he wasn't a Jaffa, if he was just an ordinary human, I'm not sure if Christopher Judge would have really uh, stuck around for that long. Unlike Taylor with the Athosians, with, with uh, Teal'c and uh, the Jaffa, when Teal'c's story wasn't always interesting, the Jaffa were his story, and they gave him something interesting to do. I am a Jaffa, bred to serve that they may live. I, I don't understand. What the hell is that? It is an infant Goa'uld, the larval form of the gods. I have carried one since I was a child, as all Jaffa carry one. Get it out of there. In exchange for carrying the infant Goa'uld until maturity, the Jafar receives perfect health and long life. If I were to remove it, I would eventually die. Now, if I were you, I'd take my chances. I personally always loved Teal'c's stalwart, quiet presence. Mm -hmm. He was the foundation of the team as far as I was concerned because he was always in the back. You know, he was always the stability. He had a great story in the pilot episode, Children of the Gods. He was the traitor. You know, there was some question in my mind, was he a double agent originally? What is he a double agent? Who was he? You know, what's he doing with this team? Uh, What's his backstory? And that gradually unspools as we see episodes like Bloodlines and later on with Threshold in season five. But um, yeah, yeah. in in later years, Tilka, I think, rightly is is noted as as being kind of a wallpaper character, but I think he's used pretty well in season one. He's got a really nice introduction and then he's he's the team muscle. I mean, think about scenes like the very end of The Enemy Within. Where he has the yes. the sparring match with the Goulded Kowalski in front of the, right. the Stargate. He's used for Intel. Uh, I just watched the Knox for this podcast, and and it's Teal'c who knows about the Fenery, who takes the team to the Knox homeworld. So he's he's got Intel going for him. 
there's there's just a lot of dimensions to this guy. He's he's the straight man for O'Neill's comedy. I mean, these great teal lines that we remember, like "What is an Oprah?" and "I am not I Lucy." These are season one. This is when Earth culture was just utterly foreign to Teal'c. He's very, very alien in this in this episode. He's very, very gold, and uh, in terms of his makeup, he was definitely an alien. And he's a character that, as the show progressed and as he lost his symbiote, he basically became human and had to start sleeping. And his arc over the course of the series, deliberately or not, was a very interesting one. Now, Jack O'Neill is uh, held over from the movie, and obviously Richard Anderson reinvents this character and makes him his own. Uh, Daniel obviously. Jackson is held over from the movie, and Michael Shanks does a fantastic job of channeling James Spader at the beginning. Uh, and yeah, he, it was spooky. I, yeah, I yeah. had to ask myself, is that the same guy? I really didn't know. Over the course of the years, he, he makes the character his own, and it seems like, I don't know, it seems like he's still pretty James Spader-esque, pretty early Daniel through season one and most of season two. It seems like it's really about the start of season three, at least to me, that maybe it's the haircut that that makes him feel more like a Shanks Daniel. But what about Sam Carter? This is the other new character that, that Brad and Jonathan created. Sam, to me, was originally, and like Brad Wright kind of put it, you know, was originally a superwoman. She kind of could do everything. And just because my reproductive organs are on the inside instead of the outside doesn't mean I can't handle whatever you can handle. Oh, this has nothing to do with you being a woman. I like women. I've just got a little problem with scientists. Colonel, I logged over 100 hours in enemy airspace during the Gulf War. Is that tough enough for you? Or are we going to have to arm wrestle? So at the beginning, she was one of those that was really, really hard for me to believe in. I kind of had to suspend my disbelief, even though mm. she's she's creme de la creme. You know, she's on this team. She would have to be all that. Aside from the fact that Daniel knows 23 different languages by the end of season two, so he's kind of like a Superman in that extent, it really took me a long time to get to um, appreciate Sam. And at the very beginning, you know, it, there there was, like with what Amanda was saying, there wasn't much else to Sam other than her brains and her femininity. As soon as they started writing her like writing one of the guys, that character started becoming much more interesting. I think Sam comes into her own a lot more in season two, especially after we meet her father. But in season one, looking at this list of episodes, uh, Sam is pretty flat. She's she's pretty yeah. two dimensional in in her introduction in Children of the Gods. Although I love her her scientific astrophysicist uh, awe over the Stargate. You know the first time she yeah. sees the event horizon. I think that's great for her character. She's been working on the Stargate program, trying to to make it a reality for mm-hmm. years, for a couple of years before Daniel Jackson comes along and, and cracks the code to open the thing. Mm-hmm. So think about Sam as somebody who has been working for this much longer than than Jack O'Neill or Daniel Jackson, and then missed out on that first mission. The sense of wonder that Sam delivers in the, in the first couple episodes is certainly yeah. well-placed. Yeah, but she doesn't really get a lot of attention. She's kind of a supporting player, a, a team player for a lot of the season, and then you get to Enigma in the back half of the season, uh, and, and she gets to to be a woman and have a bit of a romantic spark with Nareem. I love the Tolan. I love Nareem. Uh, uh, that was a great thread. And th- those were a series of characters that I wish we, we saw more of later on, but I'm glad they brought them back. This was a good episode to start to flesh out Sam's character a little bit more. And then it was followed immediately by Solitudes, which I think is also one of season one's best, uh, mm-hmm. where Sam and Jack find themselves trapped on what they believe is an ice planet with a non-functioning Stargate. Uh, and it turns out to be Earth there in Antarctica. That's why they can't get the gate to work, because you're dialing your own phone number. I watched it last night, and I remember this being one of my favorite episodes of season one. Uh, you know, right up there with There But For The Grace Of God and Torment Of Tantalus. But I was surprised at how much I loved it, having watched it for the 20th time, having not seen it for a couple of years. This episode is really character-driven, and it's really touching. That one really hit it on all cylinders. It's a quintessential example of Brad Wright putting two people in a room together and letting them talk. When I look at episodes like Solitudes, this is the sort of thing that I'm hoping for when I'm looking forward to Stargate Universe being a character-driven show. Because, yeah, just like you said, Brad Wright puts two characters in a room in a crisis and let's see what happens. Just watching some season one episodes in preparation for this podcast reminded me how much the show used to be about the characters 
and in later years, it seemed like we got to know the characters, and so we felt like we didn't have to explore their history or their character or personality anymore, because we knew who they were. So in later seasons of SG-1, it became much more plot-driven, I think. Yeah, the search for this piece of technology, the search for that different piece of technology. Yeah, that's not what Solitudes is, and that's not, I think, what a lot of Season 1 is. It's another real good Stargate episode. Why won't the Stargate work? Stargate and characters, hey, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't get much better than that. And the other reason I love Solitudes for Sam's character is because this is really the first time we see her utterly helpless. She is the smartest woman on the face of the planet, and she cannot figure this out. She cannot save herself and her CO. You spent seven years on MacGyver, and you can't figure this one out? We, we got belt buckles and shoelaces and a piece of gum. Build a nuclear reactor for crying out loud. You used to be MacGyver, McGadget, McGimmick. Now you're Mr. McUseless. Dear God. Stuck on a glacier with MacGyver. So back to universe building, we also introduce a lot of elements, a lot of technology, a lot of species in season one that become fundamental to the Stargate universe. So we get the Nox, the Nox for the first time. Oh, I love the Nox. We get the Tolan for the first time. We also get the Asgard, although we don't actually see them until next season. We get the first hint of, of, of who they are in Thor's Hammer. The Nox is one race that I really wish we would have seen more of. They'll come back a couple times, but... Um, yeah, pacifists it, it really made it difficult for them to find ways to integrate them in stories. So I, I can't blame them for that, but uh, man, I would have loved to see more of of Laia and Antaeus and um, and Ofer and some of the others. Yeah, they were so interesting. And and once we learned uh, a little bit of spoiler alert, if you've only watched season one of SG One, we learn in season two that the Nox were one of the four great races that were part of this this alliance that we found out about in Torment of Tantalus. Uh, mm-hmm. Once we found out that the Nox were so significant in Stargate mythology, it was it was really a shame that we only saw them one more time. And it didn't have much to do with um, who they were as as uh, in terms of their history, as to like who they were in terms of their fairness. So we also meet lots of other Gould baddies in this. We meet Hathor in season one for the first time. We get to see Chlorel, who is now taken over Scara. Chlorine. I can't stand the name. <laughs> yeah. We get we don't see her, but we get hints of of Nirti in Singularity. Well, Let's talk about Singularity. The introduction of Cassandra, one of my more favorite ongoing uh, story arcs. Singularity is definitely another one to talk about in the context of Sam's development, because mm-hmm. uh, as we'll see in our in our listener mail here, uh, this is a very important episode for Sam as not uh, not a military officer, not a genius. Not a Stargate expert, but but as a woman and as a human being, she develops a, a terrific maternal relationship with yeah. Cassandra, this young girl who's the sole survivor of this planet that's been the, the population has been wiped out by Nirti. It shows a great deal of potential for what uh, the character of Carter can be. You know, not just as a scientist, but as a as a woman, as a potential parent. You know, and and Amanda Tapping, God bless her, just loved that dynamic. Well, we've talked about most of the episodes in Season 1 so far, but uh, what we haven't talked about much is Children of the Gods, the, the two-hour pilot for Stargate SG-1, and the fact that this thing is getting, getting remade, getting recut for DVD. It, it is, indeed. I'm, I'm looking through it. Like, like Brad said, there, there is some dialogue in the movie that, uh, that deserves to be snip-snipped, and, uh, you know, like the whole, the whole bit about if my sexual work, were on the outside instead of the inside, you know, blah blah. You think that's going? Uh, you think that's going to get cut? Th- I th- I bet that that's going. They consistently make fun <laughs> of it throughout the show, you know, in Mobius and in Two Hundred. I bet that that's going to be snipped out. Oh, I hope so. It's it's kind of classic. So? <laughs> it's kind of classic, and it's been with us for so long. But yeah, I think it's it's bad dialogue. I hope it goes. It's establishing this character as a feminist. I am a firm feminist, and I can do anything that men can do. This this character is more than that. You know, she's more than the sum of of being a feminist. Yeah, having watched the show for for one year, two year, three years, uh, and now especially ten years, that episode and that dialogue uh, for Sam just seem so foreign. That's that's not who Sam is anymore. Another thing that's getting cut that, that Brad has told us is coming out of Children of the Gods is the nudity. Yes, good riddance. That's a big deal. Good riddance, you I think? Have, I have a lot of friends who say that, that that nudity scene is the best scene in Stargate. And it's just like, come on, guys. 
it's not Stargate. You look at the rest of the show, that's that's not what the show is about. I just didn't think it was appropriate. You know, Showtime says, well, you want the show on this on this network, then you got to put in some nudity for it. That's very low brow. Well, yeah, it's uh, it was 1997, and, and it was Showtime, which is a, a paid no network, and and Showtime is is running shows, uh, you know, 10 p.m. and later, like uh, Red Shoe Diaries with Fox Mulder, and that was kind of their modus operandi, and I think they wanted to have a serious science fiction drama that, you know, yeah, in the middle of the episode, let's give something for bachelors to off on there you go and so you know the rest of us watched it in syndication a lot and um i was surprised frankly i had forgotten about it when i when i finally got my dvd set i had forgotten that it was in there and was taken aback it's unexpected i first saw it in syndication and when i first saw it on dvd i was like whoa and i immediately looked to my door to see if if my mother was anywhere nearby (laughs) i didn't know i had no clue Mm -hmm. so Boy, oh boy. From the network's point of view, I can certainly see what they were going for, the sort of show that they were hoping to make Stargate, but uh, I'm glad that that it didn't go that way. And, you know, looking back on it now, it's not Stargate. And I, it had that remained and had that kind of been the, the concept, a, a part of the concept of the show, I don't think it could have gone on as long as it has. Mm-hmm. Before we get to our least favorite episode, we've already talked about our most favorite you suggested that we talk about a middle-of-the-road episode. What's an episode, and season one, I think, is a great one to do this in. What's an episode that's just kind of typical Stargate? It's not a clunker. It's not four stars. What's kind of a, a really typical episode of Stargate, you think? Uh, typical for season one of SG-1, I'm not sure that there's there are a ton of them. I think Fire and Water could easily be one of them. I think Hathor could be another one. I know that Brad Wright doesn't care for Hathor. I enjoyed it. But in the middle of the road, I think, may be more along the lines of Korai, where you have a great moral conundrum that it's, mm-hmm. it's really high quality. It has a little bit of cliche in it where Gould suddenly show up and Teal'c a chance to prove himself. Um, which I think uh, is is kind of quaint, but you know it's a really good character piece. It's a really good Teal'c piece in particular. I think Korai is a good example of a middle of the road episode. When I look into Hano's eyes, I see the horror on the faces of many others as their loved ones prepare for Goal absorption. Worse yet is the face of the victims whom I selected. Hano's father is not the first nor the last of those whose lives I've taken, and I have done far worse, O'Neill. I will not run. Well, I'm sorry, Teal'c, but that's unacceptable. It's a good episode. It's not bad, but is it phenomenal? Oh my gosh! No. <laughs> Looking over this list of season one episodes, and and I hope that if uh, people are listening to this podcast uh, in front of their computer, that they've they've opened up the episode guide to see what we're talking about at a glance. The show is a little bit uh, formula driven in terms of okay, it's the team, and they they go through the Stargate to explore another planet. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of that sort of, we go to a planet and encounter a culture there, uh, a new race or tribe of people, and there's a problem. And we tell them what they're doing wrong, and then we go home. We tell them what they're doing wrong, we get into trouble, we get out of it, and we go home. Um, so there's a lot of that going to other planets thing, which I think the show was originally going to be called Going to Other Planets. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Middle of the road episode, I think, is something like the Broca Divide where we go to another planet, we meet a race of people, uh, we get in trouble. In this case, we get a sickness and bring it back to Earth. Daniel turns into a caveman and starts, uh, you know, carrying around obtuse, bloody bone props. You know, I look at some of those snapshots from, from that episode, and it's like, that is stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, there's, there's a nice little mix of us going out to a planet and finding a problem versus uh, the problem coming to us. In Hathor, the problem came to us when Hathor showed up at, at the SGC and kind of took over. But these going to other planets episodes, I think, are, are quintessential season one. Brief Candle is quintessential season one, where we get to this planet and, and the people there live for a hundred days because the Gould have artificially accelerated their life expectancy using nanites in order to study them. And then Jack gets infected and ages rapidly. Brief Candle is um, bottom of the barrel in terms of season one for me. Um, Yes, I didn't care for it. I thought it was an interesting concept, you know, the nanites, but um, 
it was way too cheesy as yeah, far as I something concerned. against hot buxom young women seducing Air Force colonels. Oh, it's fine, but it was way too cheesy. It was um oh, pray to the gold pelops, you know. The gold pelops. Ah. I didn't think it was particularly acted well. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me, will you live the rest of your days without making love? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> now, as I stroll down the hall with my stroller. You know, it's yeah. just, no. All the love for RDA uh, and his job. RDA chops, has but, gone better. But RDA as an old man in brief candle, I think, was, was not really great. What about you? What, what, what do you think is uh, your least favorite episode of the, ser- of the season? You think that's your least favorite, really? Absolutely bottom in the barrel? Next to even, Emancipation. Even yes. lower than Emancipation, which I think is pretty universally agreed as one of the worst SG-1 episodes of all time. When I first thought of least favorite episode, I thought of Brief Candle. Now, Emancipation may be a little bit lower, hmm. but maybe it's because I just don't spend time thinking about that one. Mm. It's definitely Emancipation for me. This one deserves special Razzie recognition as <laughs> just not good. And it's still watchable. I watch it from time to time. It's not horrid. It's not good. I'm sorry. I think there are some funny lines in it. Daniel, find me an anthropologist that dresses like this and I will eat this headdress. You are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. It kind of works for me. I, it's, it's you. It's, it's you. Definitely you. Yeah, Sam uh, in the blue dress, fed up with her situation, and the tribe that we meet, and their their leadership, and the little love story with the with the guy and the girl. Uh, I just find the whole thing really tedious to watch. Well, there you go. There you go. Go out on a low note. Season <laughs> one. Season one overall. Overall, season one. I would probably give a three and a half out of five. Would you care to elaborate? Um, it had a lot of hits. It had a, it had a few misses. I'm giving it a three and a half out of five because I want wiggle room in later seasons for me to go higher. <laughs> and in the scheme of seasons next to one another, this is one of my lower seasons. Not yep. the lowest, but one of my lower seasons. I think that's true. I think true. season seven I would probably put at the bottom. When I started rating episodes uh, and, and thinking about ranking seasons for GateWorld was when GateWorld launched... Uh, in season three so season three season four season five season one compared to those was always at the bottom but now that i look back at it after 12 years there's a lot of really good episodes in this that i enjoy rewatching. solitudes torment of tantalus there but for the grace of god tin man we didn't talk about at all tonight oh i enjoyed tin man the robot sg1 team and there's this huge twist at the end where they find out that they're not the real sg1 it's a it's a a great episode and a nice little sci-fi story we'll bury the gate don't worry and don't even think about trying to send a bomb to make sure i wasn't yes you were i know you all right all right you have my word there's definitely some misses and and the show was was finding its voice but you know i think that that stargate sg1 found its voice very very quickly uh again the the standard of measurement is star trek the next generation which found its voice in season three Uh, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot in season one and two of that series that is very tedious to watch i think the stargate sg1 found its voice in the second half of season one once you get past, not saying that there weren't any good episodes before this, but I think once you get past about episode 12, 13, once you hit Singularity and Core I for me yeah. and get to about the back third yeah. of the season, I think the back third of the season is all winners. Yeah, they really are. Except for politics, but that was a budget issue. Yeah, with the exception of politics as a clip show, uh, just looking at my episode guide here, I've rated everything from Hathor on, which is episode 13 out of 21, uh, with the exception of politics, I've rated everything at three stars and higher, which really says something. It says something about me. I don't know what it says about the show. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> good for you. Yeah, Good for me. Uh, I, I like the back third of the season. I think this is when SG-1 found its voice, and then season two, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, just, just sort of blows out the mythology and, and really takes the show to a new level, I think. Listener, mail. 
That's what David and I thought of the first season of Stargate SG-1, and now we want to find out what you thought. We asked you in last week's podcast to write in and call in and tell us what your favorite episode of Season 1 was. Temporal writes, Solitudes was the best episode in Season 1. It offered insight into the characters. It showed just how both O'Neill and Carter reacted to the fact that they were going to die on an ice planet, or so they believed. It also showed that Daniel refused to give up trying to find his friends, eventually locating them with the aid of the Stargate itself. The introduction of the second gate also gave the show a host of new possibilities upon which to expand in the future. Pharaoh Atem writes, There But for the Grace of God would be my favorite episode of season one, hands down. Great combination of acting and storytelling, and the main plot device was just what seemed like a harmless mirror. Seeing an alternate reality episode so early in the series surprised me. Not many TV series do that, and Michael Shanks really sold the idea of feeling out of place. And of course, the amazing ending when the team finds Daniel with a staff blast and his desperate plea to Jack. They're coming. That gave me chills. Oh, yeah. It really did at that time. The gold were an unknown quantity, and man, that gave me chills. Luisco says... My favorite episode from SG-1's first season was hands down Torment of Tantalus. It still remains one of my all-time favorite Stargate episodes. It showed Daniel's passion for other cultures and how much they mean to him. He was willing to remain in a building slowly falling into the ocean just to learn more about these four great races some of which would become a massive part of the Stargate mythology over the next 10 plus years. The Stargate itself was quite moving and featured one of the franchise's most important faces, Catherine Langford. Luisco was definitely right. The Stargate moved quite a bit into the ocean. And Sam Carter rules, writes in and says, My favorite season one episode is Singularity. This was the episode that turned me into a big Sam fan. We got to see Sam the woman and just how strong she was going to be. Sam was going to be more than a yes-sir, no-sir officer, and she would, when she needed to, stand up for what she knows or believes is right. She listened to her heart and went back down in the elevator to stay with the little girl she'd grown to love. It made me want to be a strong person like Sam one day. And a couple of listener voicemails to add to the mailbag. Uh, Hi, Gateworld. This is Paul Stannis at Kensington, California, and I'd like to say that The Torment of Tantalus is my favorite SG-1 Season 1 episode. It's really the first truly great episode of the series, and also the first that impressed on me just how good the series could be, with a great balance of the series' trademark humor, characterization, and growing mythology. Hey, it's Dimbo Sama calling from Ireland. My favorite episodes are, uh... First off, Korai was the first real look at Teal's guilt from the service as first prime of Apophis and the things that he's done. And it's you don't really get to see that much of Teal's personal feelings about it. And it's also the first time you truly see the relationship between Jack and Teal'c and the lengths Jack will go to in order to keep his friend alive. My other favorite episode is Singularity because it introduced us to two very important characters, namely Cassandra and Nerity. It was a fantastic idea. It one hell of a plot twist. Oh my god, she's the bomb. And <laughs> it showed Sam to be more than just the Air Force captain who happens to have a PhD. Thanks to everyone for your voicemails and for writing in this week. We got a lot of discussion about season one and favorite episodes. We'll be t- what I think is a very exciting topic. Exciting in terms of Stargate podcasting, at least. An interesting topic. How about that? Mm-hmm. We're talking about ships versus Stargates as storytelling devices. And in relation to that discussion topic, we have a question for you. Did the introduction of Earth's spaceships improve or harm the storytelling on Stargate SG-1? What did the ships add, and what, if anything, do you think they took away from the series? Write in or call in with your answers, and we will add them directly to our discussion next week. Yep, and anybody who's been listening to the podcast knows that David and I definitely have opinions on this. I'm really excited to hear what other people have to to contribute to this discussion. Agreed. That'll be next week for our March 10th episode of the Gate World podcast. Then we've got uh, that really interesting question. Also, everything's interesting, isn't it? It is. March 17th, we're talking about replicators. The question of the hour is, are replicators alive? I can't wait for that one, man. Uh, That'll be fun, I think. And then March 24th, it's our second open line night where you get to decide what we're talking about. And by you, I don't mean David. Well, that's all the show we have this week. David, did you have fun? I had a good time. 
I was surprised at how much I enjoyed watching SG-1 Season 1 again. And talking about it with you. You know, you're alright. Hey, an hour with me, it's all you need. This will be fun, it'll take us a few months to blow through ten seasons of SG-1 and four seasons of Atlantis to catch us up to where the podcast started. Well, I think the show is old enough now that it really makes it cool to go back through and do this. You know, that that's something about the, the show is... The, the, these, these earlier seasons are kind of like a fine um, fermented wine. You know, in a lot of ways, they really are. Everyone's so young and gorgeous <laughs> and, and, and no cellulite. They are very young. You know, no facelifts yet. And it's, it's really good where it counts. And when it's really bad, you just kind of go, oh, look at them. <laughs> we have the benefit of hindsight, knowing what the show and the characters turned into. And, you know, this is worth talking about because this is the same reason that we buy TV shows on DVD. The same reason that I want to watch... Babylon 5 every two or three years or or Farscape every few years because this stuff is worth going back and revisiting because we're fans. So that's our show for this week. For links to everything that we talked about today, head over to GateWorld.net and look for the episode number 32 show notes. We really enjoy your feedback, so call us on the hotline at 616-712-1647. More calls, please. Post your pithy comments in the podcast feedback thread, or post a review on iTunes and give us some props. Pithy, or I edit them without mercy. And you can post a review on iTunes or other podcast catchers. Podcast catchers. My mouth is wide open every time I say that. I don't even know if that's a term that podcasters use. I just saw somebody use it, and so I wrote it down. Podcast catcher. However you get your podcasts, tell them that you like us. We wish to proliferate and take over the planet. That is the goal. But don't tell anybody. I don't know what else to say. This is the part where you say this is Darren. This is Darren. We shall plan to see you next week or suffer the consequences of your god. You know you can't actually see them. They don't know that. Well, they do now. I just told them. (laughs) This is Darren. And this is David. And we'll see you back. Oh, because I wrote it in the script. That's why you said it. We'll see you back here next week. Is that right? That's what you read. What? What are you talking about? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Can we please finish? We'll see you back here next week for another brand new installment of the Gate World Podcast. Thank you. Now I can go smoke. Unsubscribe.